You're listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we work to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear the good news about the person and work of Jesus and as we scatter to share it. We hope that you enjoy. Last week in Ecclesiastes, we heard that in a complex and unjust world, we should enjoy the good gifts of God, which are ours because of Jesus. Chapter 6 now starts off where 5 left us. The person at the center of chapter 6 verses 1 to 9 is refusing to enjoy the gifts given by God, but also keeps demanding more. He keeps on trying to get more for himself and keeps reaching out into the air and grabbing nothing but smoke. However, in verse 10 of chapter 6, we start to see a move from one topic to another. Because this is exactly halfway through the book of Ecclesiastes. Verse 10 of chapter 6, whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? That's Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verses 10 to 12. The preacher here tells us that Everything that has happened will happen again. You cannot push back or fight against the way life is. Whatever all the different people in the world may call it, whether it's fate, chance, providence, the workings of this world are bigger than you and me. To me, it sounds like the preacher is ready for a break at the halfway point like a teacher who is exhausted by students who clearly are not understanding what is going on. <laughs> he thinks that we could talk more about it, but that would just be blowing around more smoke in an already foggy world. Of all of us here under the sun, living this life right here and now, who knows what is best? Who knows what will happen next and how we should plan for it? COVID-19 threw me for a loop. I have sat around the house, and I have worked around the house, and I've made a million little decisions that would usually be made for me. <laughs> but now, whether it is church or kids schooling or communication, I am mentally dead because of too much decision-making. Perhaps you can relate to this. Along with trying to plan for the future, we are also worrying about whether or not there is a future for ourselves or the others in our family. There are many decisions to make right now, and this is a hard time to plan and to choose wisely about what should come next. We can echo the preacher here and ask, 
Who can know what is good for us? Who knows what happens after today? Can anyone under the sun answer questions like these? There are preachers and gurus who will tell you what your year looks like if you tithe enough, if you give enough offering, sacrifice enough. They can tell you what you hope to hear. We can find someone to tell us that life is improving and that all is not smoke and mirrors. But usually the answers we want are not the answers that we need. The preacher here is very clearly trying to get us to say the one name that he is leaving out. God. God knows. Yahweh knows. I think there are two reasons why he doesn't come out and answer his question directly here. The first being that he needs you to see it for yourself. He wants you to go through your list of family, friends, co-workers, journalists, politicians, prophets, movie stars, singers, uh, social media self-help and encouragement scammers, and whoever else you, you look to for answers and see that none of them have the answers. He wants you to see that your last option is your only true and good option. God himself. And secondly, the preacher, the, the speaker here in Ecclesiastes, wants us to yell at the book. When he's saying, who can know? We're supposed to say, God is the only one who has the answers. Because it puts us in an uncomfortable position all of a sudden. It forces us to realize that none of these other people are speaking for God. And yet God knows. And that means that you and I still don't know. <laughs> We're still not exactly sure what's good for us to get up to in the short years of our life. And what will come after us. We are forced to realize by these questions that we are not God. We are forced to admit that we need to lean on God for daily life and place all of our fear, love, and trust in Him for salvation. We are forced to see that what we have, great or small, is a gift from God. And we are blessed to know that the future does not rest on our shoulders or on the backs of anyone else that we typically look to for answers. Chapter 7, verse 1. A good reputation is more valuable than costly perfume. And the day you die is better than the day you were born. Better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. After all, everyone dies. So the living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness has a refining influence on us. A wise person thinks a lot about death, while a fool only thinks about having a good time. Better to be criticized by a wise person than to be praised by a fool. Verse 6. A fool's laughter is quickly gone like thorns crackling in a fire. This is also smoke. Extortion turns wise people into fools, and bribes corrupt the heart. Finishing is better than starting, 
Patience is better than pride. Control your temper, for anger labels you a fool. Don't long for the good old days. That is not wise. Wisdom is better when you have money. Both are a benefit as you go through life. Wisdom and money can get you almost everything, but only wisdom can save your life. Accept the way God does things, for who can straighten what he has made crooked? Verse 14, enjoy prosperity while you can, but when hard times strike, realize that both come from God. Remember that nothing is certain in this life. After this rundown of wisdom learned from suffering and the need for wisdom because of the many dangerous traps that we can find ourselves in, verses 13 through 14 tells us something that we should hold on to, so I'll read it again. Accept the way God does things, for who can straighten what he has made crooked? On a good day, enjoy yourself. On a bad day, examine your conscience. God arranges for both kinds of days so that we won't take anything for granted. As we consider this simple encouragement, uh, what we're going to hear next are some more dangers and more encouragements towards wisdom in verses 15 to 22. The preacher reminds us that we are going to be tempted to make ourselves right in every situation, or we may decide that it's okay to be thought of as a fool by some people. But in verse 20, we read this single sentence that is going to change the course of our passage today. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. The preacher now is pushing us to see our biggest problem in this world and the reason why everything is so unpredictable sin he is making it all the more complex because this whole time he's been telling us to act wisely but now he lets us know that not even our wisdom will save us in the end sin has clouded everything it's made smoke of everything around us and in 725 to 29, he says this, The people out in this world are full of their own schemes, men and women alike, and, and there's hardly a single one of them that I truly understand. But I do know this, that God made us all to live rightly. Yet we keep choosing to stumble into the downward spiral of sin and selfishness. Although he has clearly taught throughout the book that there is something wrong in the world, that there, that there are things that are good and there are things that are evil, this is the first time we see sin thrown in our face. Everything else has seemed like common sense and common grace to know that theft is bad and Oppression is not right, and a complete lack of righteousness and justice are wrong. But here, we see that everyone sins. And remember, 
You are not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you are a sinner. Think on that one, okay? It is built into you, hardwired into you. Sin is everywhere and it complicates everything, but it starts in you. You can't get away from it. So what are we supposed to do about it? Who knows? Let's move on to chapter 8. Chapter 8 verses 1 to 9 talk about how to act wisely in the face of a foolish king. Or a president, if you want to say it like that. I've got one of those. Um, These are good verses to dwell on. Then starting in verse 10, we see once again some of the ways that things are turned upside down in this world under the sun. We see evil people praised and living long lives and God-fearing people dying young and not having influence in the world. We see laws not being enforced, and so people think that they're safe to break them. Yet the preacher does give us a little glimmer of hope in verse 13 and says that it will not always be this way. And he leaves us in chapter 8's final verses in the same place that he's left us each week. So, I recommend having fun, because there is nothing better for people in this world than to eat Drink and enjoy life. That way, we will experience some happiness along with all the hard work God gives us under the sun. In my search for wisdom and in my observation of people's burdens here under the sun, I discovered that there is ceaseless activity day and night. I realized that no one can discover Everything God is doing under the sun. Not even the wisest people discover everything, no matter what they claim. Ecclesiastes 8, 15-17 Well, we've actually been left with more problems in this text, it seems. We've got sin... We've still got uncertainty and the reality that we're never really going to know what's going on. And we are left with the reality that to enjoy life can be a struggle. And yet, God has gifted it to us so that we can. And so, here are three comforts that this text is pushing us towards this morning. Three comforts in an uncertain and complex world. You can still enjoy life. That's number one. The uh, a North African church leader around the year 400, Augustine is his name, and he said this, Love God and do what you please. <laughs> this, is, this is part of the teaching of Ecclesiastes. Fear God and enjoy the gifts given to you. So there's the first comfort. You can still enjoy life. You can still enjoy life. You can find something to enjoy in it because everything in it is given to you from the hand of God. But how can we truly enjoy life knowing that there is this issue of sin that is hanging over us and that is disrupting everything that we do and making everything seem like smoke. 
Well, Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The writer of Ecclesiastes looks around and he says, There is no one here who lives life without sinning. And everyone says, Amen. For generations, because they know it's true, and yet one day, someone does come who lives a life without sin, our Savior, Jesus. Paul tells us here that it was for your sake and for my sake that Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. So that when God the Father looks at us, he doesn't see us in our sinfulness. He only sees us as the righteousness of of Jesus. He only sees his own righteousness that we are dressed in because of Jesus. We can enjoy life still in the midst of everything that's going on around us. We can find something to be thankful for and joyous about because of the one who gave himself on the cross for our sin. There's two things. That should be a comfort to us. And here's the last. The third. Jesus knows what comes next. Martin Luther said. Trusting in God's control. Can give us comfort. In uncertainty. And this is what the writer of Ecclesiastes. Is wanting to push us towards. To see that God's control. Can give us comfort. In uncertainty. Here's the beautiful thing. Although we could go to a lot of different texts, I'm going to go over to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 to 10, talking about Jesus. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It is testified somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Okay, this is talking about Jesus, okay? This is talking about Jesus, and this is a psalm being quoted. Everything has been placed under his control, under his feet. Now, and putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. There is nothing outside of Jesus' control. Continuing in verse 8, At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. We can't see it all yet. It's not all plain to us. It's not all clear to us. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor, because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation complete through suffering. 
Jesus suffered for you and for me. And yet in this passage in Hebrews, this is not pictured as as something that is, is negative or bad. It is something like a king sitting down on his throne, crowned with glory and honor, and everything is under his control. Anchored Baptist Church, you can take heart, you can have comfort, because you can still enjoy this life. Because there is someone who was sinless for you when you were lost in your sin, and that same someone, Jesus, knows what comes next, because he has everything under control, and everything is in his authority. Because of that, you can rest in and rely upon him for your every daily need and for your salvation. Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.